Hey, Trademark students, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing as best you can in quarantine. Man, I miss you guys like crazy. I wish we could see each other face to face, but I'm so glad that you're tuning in each week uh, to follow along with the, the sermon series here at Trademark. And uh, make sure you're taking this, you're sharing it with your friends, you're letting them know all the cool stuff that's happening at mcthechurch.com and all the things that are happening at Trademark. And don't forget to tune in Fridays at 1 p.m. to our Zoom call. You can get the link to the, the Zoom call on our Instagram page, and we're going to be there 1 p.m. every Friday. So make sure you tune in for that. That's going well on our sermons here. We're going through Acts, but we don't have time to break down every single verse. So we're kind of just picking a few points, but then Friday, we all gather together and we break down even further into our Bible study. We go into Acts and really start asking some questions and discussing the sermon together. So make sure you're tuning in. Friday's at one for that. Make sure you're inviting your whole family and you're tuning in Sundays for our live premieres at 9 a.m. and 11 this week. And then after this week, our, our live premieres are going to be Sundays at 10 a.m. so we can all be worshiping together for one live premiere. So don't miss it. Lots of cool stuff going on. And uh, so we're just glad that you're here. Miss you guys. Hey, send me a text. Message me. Let's stay connected as best as we can. Now today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue our series, Unstoppable. So we're in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be in verse 1. And, and while you turn there, let me just kind of share a little story with you. When I was uh, growing up, when I was in middle school and high school, pranks were done um, pretty regularly. We loved a good prank, especially at church. Um, our camps, our trips, and such had many, many, many too many pranks involved. And in fact, one reason there are way less pranks, if you come to one of the trademark events, it's, it's rare to see pranks. One of those reasons is because pranks just got a little bit out of hand, and we had to really hone those things down and, and calm it down uh, because they were just getting a, a little too intense. Um, but there was this phrase that was often used, and I don't even know who to give credit for starting this phrase, but it was such a common phrase, even my parents would use it. And the phrase was this, when you least expect it, expect it. And here's the idea. You, you would prank someone, right? And uh, they would be mad at you or whatever, or sad or whatever, you know, a good prank gets all kinds of emotions. And all of a sudden they would come back to you and they would just tell you, when you least expect it, expect it. And what that meant was this, I don't know when, I don't necessarily know how yet, but one day, someday, perhaps today, perhaps in three years, when you least expect it, expect it. It was a threat that was nearly always delivered upon. Like, like always delivered upon. In fact, to this day, there's still a few of these threats lingering over my head that I'm waiting for. I, I don't know when it's going to come, when it's going to happen, but I know that when I least expect it, I should expect it. And so you live with this kind of price on your head, like Han Solo. You, you live with this price on your head. And, and one prank became my favorite. And I would do this a lot, which is why maybe I have so many threats still lingering out there. Uh, one prank became my favorite, and that was dumping a bucket 
of ice cold water on someone as they were taking a shower. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's glorious. It's like the perfect prank because they don't expect it. They're, they're enjoying it. They're in their comfort. You know, they got like 10 minutes to just like, oh, finally relax. And, and, and they're showering. You come in with ice cold water, dump it on them, and, and then you can run away. And, and they can't catch you because they're, they're not decent. And so they can't catch you, so you can get far away. Sometimes, if you don't tell anyone, you can actually get away with this prank, and they won't even know who did it. And so it was one of my favorite pranks. I would do this all the time. And, uh, and, and it, that's just one freebie for you if you ever want to use it. Maybe you're getting bored in quarantine. That's a great prank to use um, on uh, one of your siblings or something like that. And uh, it, it's really just a joy. It's a real joy. But, but you've got to be ready for the consequences, right? When you least expect it expected. And in many ways, as we're looking through Acts to see Jesus at work, we come to realize that Christians should be familiar with expecting the impossible. Christians should get familiar with expecting the impossible. And really, that's the title of my sermon uh, today, Expect the Impossible. Uh, We see this in the conversion of Saul, and we're going to start reading it right now in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let me turn there with you. And and really, we've already seen this, right? We've seen that if this is going to be an unstoppable movement of God, if this is going to be an unstoppable church, if this is going to be something that that goes on until the end of ages, well, well, we're going to have to see some of the impossible and we should get comfortable, familiar with, expecting the impossible. And and so we're going to read and see what what we get here as we get introduced to to Paul um, um, today in in Acts chapter 9. I'm in Luke 9. That is not the same as Acts 9. Acts chapter 9. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christians, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, But seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed 
and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. We're, we're going to read further, but I want to start talking through some of these things. As we know that we need to expect the impossible, we see this in the conversion of Saul. Saul was the least likely person any Christian in that day in, in the early church would have ever expected to become a Christian. I mean, he, he hated Jesus. He hated the movement that, that Jesus' disciples were, were creating. He hated it with everything he had. You know, this, this word here in verse 1, but Saul still breathing threats of murder. Uh, that, that actual word is this idea of not just breathing out, not just saying things like, I'm going to kill you, but actually this, this bitterness that was just churning inside of him. He's breathing out threats and he's breathing in more threats. He's just, his heart is just so hard and he's so angry at this movement. He, he really hated it. He would be the last person you would ever expect to become a Christian. Not only that, he would be the last person you would ever expect to be one of the, the main leaders in the early church, and yet we see in this story that that is not true. He actually gets saved. Jesus shows up in a, in a miraculous way on the road to Damascus, and, and he, he gets Saul's attention with this blinding light and, and chooses him, calls him. Now, I would argue that, that, that Saul has become the, the second most important person to ever live in the lives of most Christians. After Jesus, of course. Saul is just pivotal, 13 books of the New Testament, all to Paul. And, and, and so we see his conversion here. This is a Jewish leader who hated, imprisoned, and killed Christians. He was good at it. He was good at it. He enjoyed it, and he was honored because of it. Even just, just, just earlier in, in Acts, we see that, that when they're stoning Stephen, the, the ones who were throwing the stones, they take off their jackets so they can throw well, and, and they actually lay their jackets at the feet of Saul. So we know he's present there. He's a leader here. This is how good he was at his job. He hated, imprisoned, and killed Christians. But we just read of his radical conversion, converting from a hater of Christians to a Christian himself, a, a, a pursuer of, to, to murder Christians to one who would be pursued to be murdered for the sake of Christ. We see him converting from a, a life of sin. His sin was uh, clinging to, to righteousness and, and clinging to the law and rejecting our Savior. And then here we see him converting and receiving salvation from Jesus. And so we read of his radical conversion. It, it was so radical, he literally changed his name to match his identity in Christ. He, he goes from being called Saul to being called Paul, and, and so you might be more familiar with the, the, the name Paul as you've read through the Bible through the years. He's, he's a much more familiar um, name there. And his conversion was so radical that he actually had his name changed to, to match his identity in Christ. Uh, so, so radical that he instantly turned from persecutor of Christians to persecuted for Christ. And, and, and hear this out because this is so crazy and, and, and we'll get to why this is so comforting to us in just a moment. But he's not searching for Jesus in any way. He's not looking for Jesus. He's, he doesn't think what he's doing is wrong at all. He is simply out to destroy the works of Christ. He is still breathing threats of murder against Jesus' disciples. But listen to this. As Christians in this unstoppable kingdom, we need to expect 
Expect impossible conversions. Expect impossible conversions. For each of us, salvation is an impossible feat without Jesus. It's not about your searching. It's not about how hard you're looking for Jesus. It's not about how you're asking all the right questions and you're looking for Jesus everywhere that you can. It's not about your searching for no one seeks God. It's not about your works for all fall short. It's not about just doing as much good things as you can until Jesus shows up on the scene. And Paul is is doing the exact opposite of that. He's out murdering the people of God. So it's not about your works for all fall short when it comes to works. It's not about your ability. It's not about you just being able to figure it out and piece it together. It's not like figuring out a math problem. It's not like that. It's not about your ability because the Bible says that you were dead in your sins. Dead like completely dead. So it's not about anything that you do. It's not about anything that you're able to do because in your sins you are dead. Just like Saul, just like me, so are you. But Jesus steps in. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He shows up on the scene and and maybe your salvation experience wasn't like this. In fact, Probably not. It was probably because we know that, that God normally calls people kind of in a still, small voice. Maybe your conversion experience and becoming a Christian has been more gradual where someone invited you to church and you're like, I don't know. And then they invited you again. And you're like, maybe. And then you eventually showed up and then you came for a while and you were just kind of piecing it all together and hearing bits and pieces along the way. And eventually you were like, no, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's Jesus who lived the perfect life. It's Jesus who died the sinless death. And it's Jesus who rose again that I I too might receive forgiveness, that I too might rise again with him. And so maybe yours was more gradual, even, even for me, even as a pastor's kid growing up. I didn't get saved until I was, I was 12, 13 years old, something like that. I, I didn't get saved for a long time. I was in the church a long time. I heard a lot of preaching. I sat through a lot of Sunday school lessons. I memorized a lot of verses before I really said, you know what, this is real Jesus is real. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. But here we see Saul, and it's much different. But either way, whether your, your, your conversion experience in becoming a Christian was more gradual and, and, and a process drawn out, or, or may, maybe there's still some, I believe, who have this dramatic, just life-altering moment in their life, like Saul, where he's on this road to go um, yeah, kill and murder and imprison more Christians, and just Jesus shows up and says, no, you're mine. But either way, it's Jesus who saves. Jesus saves. You don't save. I don't save. Jesus saves. If you're typing in the comments, go ahead and write that. Just write in the comments, Jesus saves, exclamation point. Jesus saves. Just tell the world that Jesus saves. And and this is powerful and it's encouraging. and, And here's why. Because so many of us are praying for friends and family to be saved. I talk to Many of you students at times, and, and you're just like, yeah, my, my mom or my dad, they just don't believe in Jesus, and, and I want them to come to church. I want them to start. I want them to even just respect what I believe. I want there to be some change, but nothing's happening. It, it's, they're just anti-God. I've told the story before. We used to have kids who came to a Bible study at Mountain View, and they, they came from a, a Muslim home, and uh, we would give them Bibles, and their, they would hide it, and they'd be reading the Bible, and then their parents would find the Bibles, and they'd get in trouble, and they'd throw the Bibles in the trash, and we kept giving them Bibles and Bibles, and they kept praying for their parents, and, and maybe, maybe your story is similar, where, where you feel like in your home, being a Christian is the, the last thing they want from you. 
They'd much rather you have straight A's. They'd much rather you have uh, different behaviors or succeed at sports or whatever their standard is. And you just want them to love Jesus. And you're praying and and you're you're doing everything you can to to show them Jesus, to tell them about Jesus, to try to, to, to respect and honor those in your family and your friends that you love and so many of us have, have parents who we love, and they're just anti the truth of Jesus. We have friends that, that we love, that we've grown to love, that we've been involved in sports, that we've gone to the same schools with, and, and, and you love them, and, and you're passionate about them, and, and you couldn't imagine your life without your friends. Maybe you're missing some of those friends through this quarantine right now, but, but you know deep down in your heart, they don't know Jesus, and desperately you want them to know Jesus. Without this truth, without the truth that Jesus saves, you may find yourself without hope for them. Maybe you do. You find yourself without hope. So what do you do? You, you strive harder to love them, to, to show them Jesus, to share the truth, and that's great. And even Paul, or, or Saul here, he would spend the, the rest of his life doing that, just working as hard as he could to show those around him who Jesus is, to tell them the gospel truth, to show them love, to, to, to just extend the reach of Christ to any, anywhere that he could go. And so we should do that. We should be working hard and diligently that others might know Jesus. But Jesus is the one who does the work. Jesus is the one who saves. And if Jesus does the work, then we can expect to see the impossible reached through him. If Jesus is the one who does the work, if he uses us, he calls us, he challenges us, but he does the work. And if he's the one who's doing the work, then we can expect with confidence that the, that the impossible will be reached. That, that your, your, your father, your mother, your best friend, your brother, your, whoever's in your life, your coach, who just hates the truth of God, they are not beyond the reach of Jesus. They may be on the reach of your convincing. You may be trying to convince them and, and, and show them these truths and, and, and love them enough, and, and you might think, no matter what I do, I can't get through to them. That, that may be true, but they're never beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. And he's the one who saves. Uh, so many people, I mean, think about this. Saul was standing as a witness when Stephen cried out with a loud voice, I see Jesus on the throne, and he prays, forgive them. Saul witnessed that. There was, he, he was a front row seat to this amazing truth of who Jesus is. And that didn't get the job done. But here he is on the road to Damascus in the middle of of the day. We hear about this story in in Acts 22 and Acts 26 as well. In the middle of the day, just on the road to go and do his job of murdering and imprisoning Christians. And Jesus shows up and says, you're mine. Because we can expect impossible conversions. Because no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. So expect impossible conversions. Number two, expect impossible connections. Expect impossible connections. See, Jesus speaks to Saul, and and what does he say to him? It's so interesting. He meets him on the road, he blinds him with his light, and he starts speaking, and he asks him this question, Saul, Saul, which is like the double name thing, is all about rebuke. He's mad, right? That's like first, middle, and last name. Saul, Saul. And, And then he says this, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Here's the thing. Was Saul persecuting Jesus? No. He, he likely had never met Jesus before this moment. 
right? He didn't go before the council uh, in Jerusalem and say, you know what, I would like papers to go and arrest Jesus. They weren't giving him papers to go arrest Jesus. I would like you to release a group of men to come with me so I can go hunt down Jesus and kill Jesus. That wasn't what he was doing. He was out to get those who believed in Jesus, who were following Jesus. He wasn't persecuting Jesus himself. And yet when Jesus shows up, he says, why are you persecuting me? You see, Jesus says he is the one being persecuted. And, and here in Acts, we are beginning to see this amazing, comforting truth. And, and think about this if you can. The early church, man, th- these people were, were friends with Jesus. They physically ate meals with Jesus. They walked and talked with Jesus. These disciples spent years with Jesus. And, and now he's, he's ascended back into heaven, and, and they might feel like They don't have this connection with Jesus. But in Acts, we begin to see this truth rolled out that actually they still have this impossible connection that a holy, righteous God might be connected to his people. And we can expect that connection. And we see this truth being unfolded. See, Jesus is still supernaturally, even today, connected to his people. Jesus is supernaturally connected to you, to me, to, to, to Paul, to Peter, to, to any of those who, who call him Savior and Lord. He is supernaturally connected to them. So, so when you hurt, he hurts. When you suffer, he suffers. And anything that is done to you or to me is as if it's being done to Jesus himself. And, and, and this is so much bigger than just this idea of empathy, It's not empathy. This is literal persecution of Jesus that Saul was doing. When when Saul was persecuting Stephen, Saul was persecuting Jesus himself. It wasn't Jesus just like, oh, I know how you feel, Stephen. I've been persecuted too. No, as he is persecuting Stephen, he's literally persecuting Jesus Christ himself, and that's true for you and me today as well. When we suffer, when we hurt, especially because of the message of Jesus, Know that Jesus is suffering and hurting with you. He's suffering and hurting with you. And and what's so cool is Paul would soon, he would very soon be on the receiving end of this. As you begin to read the, the, the life of Paul, you see this in Acts and in many of the letters he writes, that he ends up being beaten many times, whipped. He gets shipwrecked. He he has times of of near starvation, he gets left for dead. And, and even through all of that, now he's on the receiving end of persecution, and, and I can't help but think how often did he think back to this moment when he realized, oh, the, the beatings that I'm giving to Jesus' followers, Jesus is, is, is feeling that as well. He's hurting too. And then, you know, in the coming years, all oh, the beatings I'm receiving because of Jesus. Jesus is right there with me. What a comfort that is for the people of God. You know, the idea that, that, that you'll hear this phrase a lot, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And normally the idea is to try to help you not feel so convicted for your sins, which is not helpful. But, but here I think it's so important. We're not following just a list of rules. And, and, and the Bible is the word of God, but but we're, we're not even just following a book. We're following Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have connection to him. He, he uses and, and, and fulfills much of the, that calling through his word, and he uses his church, and he uses his people. But we have a connection, a, a, an, an impossible connection we have with Jesus. 
And so here it's super appropriate. We have a supernatural connection with our Savior that brings us comfort in knowing that we never suffer alone. You never suffer alone, even if you feel all alone, even if you feel like no one understands, even if you feel like no one knows what's going on. If you're a child of the one true king, you never suffer alone. You never hurt on your own. You never are betrayed alone. You always have Jesus. When you hurt, he hurts. When you suffer, he suffers. You always have Jesus. I hope that comforts you. Expect in your life, in in every single moment of every single day, and especially in your hurt, expect an impossible, supernatural connection with Jesus Christ. Number three, I'd like to finish off this little section, and we can pick it up in verse 20, but we're going to expect impossible callings. As Christians, not only are we going to expect impossible conversions, knowing that we were ourselves impossibly converted, not only are we going to expect impossible connections, but as a result of those two things, we're going to also expect impossible callings, and this is what happens next to Saul. In verse 20, it says this, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Priests, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. He's on the receiving end now. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. It multiplied. The last thing, expect impossible callings. Here's what's so crazy. Paul is now sent out, right? He gets converted. It's an impossible conversion, and Jesus does the impossible, and so he gets converted. He, he learns this valuable lesson, and we learn it as well, that he has this connection with, with Jesus, and then he is called to go and get to work. As, as Christians today are called to also get to work, he's called to go get to work, and where does he send him? Where does Jesus send Paul? He could send him anywhere. Remember, the message is going to go to the ends of the earth. He could send him anywhere. But where is Saul called to go? Back to the Jews. Back to the Jews. To his friends, his family, even these cities that he sent to. Jerusalem, where he likely was trained in, 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 in what it meant to be a Jew and studied there. Tarsus, where he is from. Uh, to the Hellenist Jews, which is what he was. He sent to all these people who he already knew, to places where they knew his story. 
that they knew his face. They had likely had meals with him. Many of these men he was reaching likely had meals with him to a place that life-transforming truth of Jesus Christ would be most evident because they knew him best. That's where he's sent. It's so interesting because perhaps he's calling you to those people in your life. You know, I grew up in a time in church where we, it seemed to me like every week they were asking us to pray to be sent to the ends of the earth to go be missionaries, and that is awesome. And I have many friends who are missionaries, and, and you should pray for that. Maybe God wants to send you across, across the oceans. Maybe he wants to send you to places where you don't know how to speak their language, and, and he wants you to, to reach a, a group of people that are impossible to reach. That's worth praying through. And, and, and I would do that too, and, and looking for God to call me and to be a missionary and things like that. Uh, and now, here I am, I'm in the city where I grew up, I'm a mile away from the high school that I went to, I, I'm, I'm right here where everyone knows me, they know my story, they know how, how bad I was in high school, they, I still bump into people who are shocked that I'm a pastor. And, and I remember thinking, as I was stepping in this direction in my, God's calling for my life, Man, just call me anywhere but Moval. In Moval, they know me. I'd like to go anywhere but Moval. And, and no matter how hard I tried to leave, it's like God kept calling me right back here to the people who knew my face. They knew my shortcomings. They knew my story. And, and, and that's where he want, wanted me. And that's where you are too. And so Saul gets sent to the place where everyone knows his name where everyone would see that Christ really is doing a, a life-transforming work in him, and perhaps he's calling you to those people in your life. It, it may be daunting, but expect impossible callings. And, and I believe many of you are. I have conversations with you where you're praying for your parents, and, and I, I've, I had a conversation just in the last week of, of someone in our church who, who really had some impossible growth in their conversation with one of their family members. And that's so encouraging. But keep walking in that direction. Keep, keep trusting the Lord. This is an unstoppable movement because we expect the impossible. Let me close with just reminding you of those three things. As we leave, just be challenged. Keep trusting God and praying and working to see those impossible conversions. People who are far from Christ to be filled in the life of his abundance. Like, just be filled with Jesus Christ. Those who are anti him, keep praying for them. Keep doing what you can to reach them, to love them, to, to show them Jesus. That they might be impossible for you to reach, but they're never, there's never been a single person beyond the reach of God. Second, be comforted in knowing that you never suffer alone. If you're hurting, you're not alone. If you're lost, you're not alone. If you're you're bored. You're not alone. You never suffer alone. If you're a child of God, you never suffer alone. Jesus is there with you. And finally, pray this bold prayer. Start praying and asking God to give you an impossible calling. Maybe that's the ends of the earth. Maybe that's a country that you would never think of going to. Maybe that's a, an area of town that you would never think of, of trying to reach. Start, start asking God to show you those things. And, and, and while you do that, start with the people who know you best, that they might know what Christ has done in you best. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your unstoppable movement. 
We thank you that we have the, the amazing story of, of Saul's conversion. Lord, help us to be people who trust you, who keep expecting the impossible in the people we love, that they might know you, love you, declare you as Savior and Lord. Lord, give us just growth in that area. So many students who are praying for their family members, their friends, people that they're living in the same walls of their house with in these, these, these weeks, Lord God. Lord, we just do a miraculous work there as you just save and save now. Thank you, Jesus, that you save. Do a work. Lord, continue to help um, your, your people know that you are a comforter. And when we suffer, you suffer. We're never alone in our suffering. Lord, help us to understand that. And God, just right now, as your students begin to pray and ask for direction in their life, ask for purpose in their life, ask for calling over their life, God, would you open their eyes as you did for Paul's, and this might be a difficult moment for many of us, but would you open our eyes to an impossible calling? May we expect you to call us to daunting places, and we expect you to show up because you're faithful to do so. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you Friday at Zoom, 1 p.m.